Joe Johnson, if I have not met you, um, I would love to meet you. I'm the campus minister here. Uh, please introduce yourself. It might take me a couple weeks to get to you, but keep coming back. Keep trying to find me. I want to shake your hand. I want to know you. I'd love at some point this semester, go to lunch or go to coffee. We want you to be known um, and to know people here. Uh, we are a community. This is what RUF seeks to be, a community that together is learning what it means to follow Jesus for our four years of college and for the rest of of our life. We are for the convinced and the unconvinced, those of us who want to grow more in the faith and those of us who are investigating the faith. And we're so glad uh, that you're here. So please introduce yourself to me and stay for ice cream afterwards and hang out as late as you want. I have a couple more people I want to introduce. Uh, we have two new interns this year. If I can get them to stand up. Freshmen, if you're a freshman, get to know them. Their whole job is to know you, is to meet with you, is to help you get involved in RUF, and they want to hear about your life. And so get to know them uh, just a little bit. Also, uh, Josh is from California. This is his second time in Mississippi. So if, so if you're from the Delta or a small town, you need to take Josh home for a weekend and show him what Mississippi is. He wants to do it. Two more people is also in the back there. My wife, April, is right there, who's on staff. Upperclassmen girls, get to know her. Um, she's available, lunch, coffee, and all that. And then uh, last but certainly not least is Amelia Nolan, who is our administrative assistant is her title. She's the glue that holds this whole thing together. So, So meet her too. If you sign up for a conference or trip, you'll probably interact with Amelia. And there's very few people who pray for RUF more than her. So we're thankful for her. Um, here we go. We're going to do our relationship sermon series this semester. What RUF typically does is we open a book of the Bible for a semester and march our way through it. But once every four years or so, uh, we set aside a semester to look at what the Bible says about the different relationships we have in our life. And the four subheadings are relating, dating, marriage, and sex. And we're actually going to do three or four sermons on each of those. Asking what does the Bible say about relationships, the different kinds, friendship, family. About this crazy world of dating that we have to navigate. About marriage, how to look for a spouse. What even is marriage? What's a healthy marriage look like? And about sexuality in this world. And also just sex in general. What does the Bible say about it? And we're doing that because we know that's on our minds every second of the day. And especially at your age and in college, this is what we are thinking about. But I want to temper expectations a little bit. I like to start with low expectations. <laughs> because usually when you show up to a dating series, you immediately want to know, okay, how do I go on a date? How do I get a date? How do I get a date this Friday night at Restaurant Tyler? And the answer to that question, I'll just give it to you. You don't have to stay for the sermon series. Guys, ask a girl on a date to Restaurant Tyler, and you're going to get a date to Restaurant Tyler. That's all you have to do, right? <laughs> I have more details on that later. <laughs> but we are actually not going to get to the dating talks until about week five and six. So keep coming. Don't just like check out and come back at week five or six, because we have some groundwork to cover to get there. Because I actually think one of the things that makes us bad at dating is that we're bad at friendship. And we have to understand friendship first. One of the reasons we're bad at friendship is because we don't really understand what a family is and what a healthy family is and an unhealthy family is. And we need to unpack that as well. And maybe we don't understand family because we don't understand how sin impacts our hearts. And maybe we don't understand that because we don't even really know how we're designed. 
So we're going to start from the ground up. They all work together. Stay with me. There are going to be dating applications and marriage applications all throughout this. But we have to start at the very beginning and ask the question, how did God make us and design us to relate to one another? That's where we're going to go. And so to do that, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. And it's also on the handout. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at the first two chapters in the Bible, but just a few texts from each. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and with every tree and with seed and its fruit. And you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. In Genesis chapter 2, starting verse 18. Then God, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. God tells us that the grass will wither. And the flowers will fade, but God's word will stand forever. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Father in heaven, this is your word, and we need it, and it's true, and it's living, and it's active. And so as we look at this text, as we think about this idea of why you made us, and how you made us, and what did you purpose for us, Jesus, help us to see you more clearly and find you more beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a three-year-old son named Sam that's usually in my illustration, so you'll get used to that as this semester goes on. He's a walking illustration. Um, My son Sam, a little while ago, was obsessed with my wallet. It's actually my phone that has my credit cards in it. And he would always take my phone, pull the credit cards out, line them up, and begin to play with them. And I noticed the way he was playing with them was pretty strange. Um, He would take two credit cards and start putting them together, kind of knocking the edges together, furrowed brow, getting frustrated, doing it a little bit harder, eventually sort of slamming them together, and then puts them on the table and walks away frustrated. Saw that a couple times, and it finally occurred to me what he was doing, because his favorite toy in the world is called magnet ties. 
If anyone knows what magnet tiles are, they are little plastic, different shapes that have magnets on the edges, and they fit together perfectly, and they're strong magnets, so you can build these tall structures. He plays with them hours on end, and so when he had my credit cards that were roughly the same size and shape, he assumed that when he put them together, they were going to stick. And when they didn't, he got frustrated and disappointed and just threw them away, cast them away. But think about that moment for a second for Sam. That if he had the mental capability to understand the power that he had in his hand, the value of these things. I know I'm a pastor, but there is a credit limit. And for a three-year-old, that's a lot of money. (laughs) That if he was actually able to understand how to use those things, then he could get an Uber to go anywhere he wanted to go. (laughs) That he could go to Chick-fil-A and eat mac and cheese anytime he wanted to do it. If he could figure out how to use those things on Amazon, he could buy a billion more magnet tiles, right? And he would send me into bankruptcy. (laughs) But his life, his life would be amazing. If he only understood the power and the value of what was in his hand, but this is why he got frustrated, this is why he got disappointed, he asked those things to do something they weren't designed to do. And he was left disappointed. I think the majority of our relational problems because of sin is that we ask relationships in our life to do things they were not designed to do. And we end up being frustrated. We can use in all sorts of relationships. that We can ask our friends, our good friends, to be something to us that they were never meant to be. To be our identity, to be how we know ourselves, to give us purpose, to let us know that we're loved. We can ask our boyfriends and girlfriends to be things for us that they were never meant to be, and they can't handle that pressure to be the reason we feel lovable and important and respected. That when you get married one day, if you get married one day, you can do that to your spouse, to ask him or her to be something that they were never meant to be, and it'll just cause discouragement and disappointment. And we certainly can do that with sex too. But underneath all of those things, is actually a fundamental misunderstanding with our design and the way our heart works. Actually, what our heart is desiring. And so I want to look at this passage and ask, how did God make us? How did he design us to relate to those around us? And this is what I want us to see from Genesis 1 and 2. That God designed us for himself. To flourish together with a deep need to be loved and to love. That God designed us, man and woman, for himself. To flourish together with a deep need, a deep desire to love and to be loved. I'm going to talk about those one at a time. So first, that we were designed by and for God. This is why I'm in the creation. Genesis 1 and 2 tells how God made the world, how that came about. And what does it start with? It starts with God speaking and creation coming out of nothing. Ex nihilo, which is just a Latin phrase for out of nothing, that God didn't take what was already there, something outside of himself, and kind of form it and shape it, but actually God spoke everything into existence. That when God speaks, there is a power in his words, a power that's not in our words. When I speak, People get bored. When God speaks, the world comes about. It's why the most important time in RUF is actually when I read the Bible. Because we believe that's God's word. His living and active word that has a power in and of itself to penetrate hearts, to change us, to make us more and more like Jesus. And so when God speaks in Genesis 1, creation begins. 
And a pattern is set through the six days of creation that God makes, says something, makes something, looks at it and calls it good. Creates something, calls it good. Creates something, calls it good. But the pattern is broken on the sixth day. That God making the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the animals and the fish and all of it. The pattern breaks to where God says in verse 26 where we started. He says, let us make man in our own image. After our likeness. And then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. He created them. When a pattern is established in the Bible and then broken, it does that to get our attention. That something unique is happening. That we can actually say with all theological accuracy that we, man and woman, are the crowning jewel of God's creation. His special creation. We're the only ones said to be made in his image. We're the only ones said to be made in his likeness. And actually, we're the only ones God speaks to in creation. And we're the only one God blesses. Now, he speaks everything else into creation. We're the only one he addresses personally. So what does that mean? That we were created uniquely to relate to God in a way nothing else in creation was. That we were made primarily for a relationship with him. To be made in his image. To be made in his likeness. What exactly does that mean? Theologian John Curry makes a quote. And his commentary says this. To be made in God's image is to be his representatives on earth. And have a character and being in keeping with that of the deity. It means that we are God's representatives here to act, care, and live in reflection of the one who made us. It is to be his special people in his own image. To be like him in some ways. To be loved and to serve him and to love him. I want to start there. Because before I get to all the other relationships in our life, it would be tempted to think we were created primarily for one another. For friends, for dating, for marriage, for sex. But we actually have to start with the fundamental and primary relationship we were made for. And it was to relate to God as our maker, as our father, as our redeemer, and as the one who works and dwells in his people. You were made to relate to him. You were made to know him. You were made to worship him. It's what your soul longs for. And it's actually what we're looking for when we demand too much of our friends, when we demand too much of our dating, when we put marriage on a pedestal that it'll never live up to. What our souls are looking for is actually something good. It's just not found in those things alone. It's actually found in delighting in and being delighted by your heavenly Father. And so before I move on, I have to ask a convicting question that I don't really want to ask. What other relationship have we made God? What other relationship have we put too much weight in? Like a, like, a, like a tent that we're putting a house roof on that will crumble under that pressure. There's a certain friend group that we just kind of need that acceptance. We need to belong to them and we don't know who we are without them. I actually think this is why we stay in dating relationships that we know are unhealthy for us way too long. Because we don't really know who we are without that relationship. And we're scared to leave it behind, even though we may know it's unhealthy. What other relationship have we made primary that we put in God's place? And can we actually see that it's only when he is at the center of our lives that all the other relationships make sense? That it's in those that we seek to enjoy him more. But it starts with him. We were made in his image to reflect his glory. 
to be with him. It's why the Bible starts with God and two people hanging out in a garden. And the Bible ends with God hanging out with his people for eternity in the new heavens, new earth. He made us to dwell with him. We were made, designed by and for God. But then secondly, what we learn is that we were made, designed by God, to flourish together. God made a people, not a person's. And he makes that painfully known, right, in the passage. Because if we were made in his image, we need to understand who God is to kind of understand who we are, right? And, and what does it mean that God uses the first person plural, our and us? What does that point into? There's a lot of debate on it, but we can at least say this. We know that God is Trinity, a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. That he is eternally, from, from forever and for forever, the Father loving the Son through the Spirit. And though we're not made like that, that is uniquely him, but to actually image and mirror who he is, we were not made to be alone. We were actually made for community. God is in the community in and of himself. We were made to be with one another. And God makes this almost comically so, like just, just, he doesn't have to do this. He can just create woman and man at the same time, but he almost goes out of his way to show this, that when he saw Adam, the first man, a perfect man in a world that knows no sin yet, he looks at him in a perfect world and says there's something not good about him being alone in this perfect place. But I'm going to take it even further. I mean, this is not hyperbole. God looks at a perfect man in a perfect place, with a perfect job. He was to garden a garden that did not produce weeds or thorns and thistles. It worked exactly like it was supposed to work. It was the best job in the history of the world. And Adam got to do it. He was also the richest man the world's ever known because the whole world was his. That even the beast answered to him that he had all authority, all dominion. He had the perfect life. And can I just say that we're pretty sure he walked around naked all day and didn't feel any insecurity about it whatsoever. The perfect man, the perfect job, the perfect salary. The perfect body, the perfect everything. God looks at him and says, you know what? This is actually not good. This is not good for him to be alone. Because you know why? There is something about God that Adam would have never known if he didn't have another person to love. There is something about who God is that Adam would really never understand if he didn't have someone outside of himself to cherish. There is something about God that we would never understand. We would never understand him as father if we didn't have fathers in this world. We would never understand him as as a God who loves his people if we didn't have someone outside of ourselves to love and to be loved by. But actually God looks at Adam and says, you cannot live the life that you were made for alone. You actually need someone to be in community with. So here's the question. How are you going at this life alone? How are you going at this life alone? Are there parts of your life, maybe large pieces of your life, that you've never told another person because you're terrified of how they might respond? How are you going at this life alone by having maybe a million acquaintances, but no one who really knows you through and through? I think this is why When we have deep-seated loneliness, and maybe you're there, no one tells you the college is lonely. College really is lonely. The deep-seated loneliness that we feel, we would all trade physical pain instead of having to sit in that loneliness, wouldn't we? 
I also think this is why when we spend so many late nights scrolling and so many late nights engaging with people through a machine in our hands and watching more videos and looking at more pictures, that though we're engaging with real people on the other sides of those things, that studies are showing that that only makes us more anxious, more lonely, more depressed. Because we're actually denying ourselves something that makes us human. We were made for one another. Primarily for God, but God designed us to enjoy him in community. It's why he gives us the church, a people of God to worship him together. How are you going at this life alone? I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million more. The only Christians I worry about on the college campus, they're actually not the ones who make huge mistakes. I actually think that just means they're a sinner that needs Jesus, and that's all of us. The only people, only Christians on college campus that I really worry about that keeps me up at night is when they try to live the Christian life alone. Without a community. The, the Christian is just one little part of them and they don't really have any other Christian friends to lean upon. Not only is that unbiblical, it's just straight dangerous. We were not designed for that. How are you going in alone? And I want you to look at this room. You're not alone. This is why we exist. This is why we do small groups. It's why a large group is not just the main thing of our ministry. We want to know one another. We want to build friendships here. I want you to find your future groomsmen and bridesmaids here. And maybe your spouse, who knows, we'll get to those talks in a little bit. That we want to know each other. Why? Because we want to know God more. And that's where he works. How are you going at it alone? And where can you actually lean into more community? It's terrifying, but it's good. Third, we were made by God, designed for God. To flourish together. But third, with a deep desire to love and to be loved. Okay, so what does God do next? He makes Eve. And he makes Eve in the most amazing way possible, right? He, he has Adam stand there and he parades all of creation before him. And I, and I love this, that whatever Adam names, that's the name of the creatures. And then God tells him, find a helper suitable for yourself. But God knows he's not going to find somebody. Right? It's not like Adam's going to see the horse and his heart's just going to like ignite and know like this is the one. I actually think what's going on here is the world's first premarital counseling. That what God's actually doing is not having him find something in creation, but getting Adam ready for what he's about to create next. Look at everything that I've made, Adam. What I'm about to make next is utterly different. Utterly different than anything that you've ever seen. What I'm about to make next is going to blow you away. What I'm about to make next is someone that you are to love and to cherish and to work side by side with and depend upon and enjoy and love. What I'm about to make next is a friend, a community, and in this circumstance, a wife. And how does Adam respond? Take note of this, guys. When Adam meets the one he's going to meet, the first thing out of his mouth is actually a song. That he looks at her and says, you are like me, bone of my bone. You are like me. You're different. I got some questions about that, about what it means to be a woman. But you're like me. I see something in me, in you, and I get to enjoy you and love you. And you get to enjoy me and love me. And we will know God more because of this relationship. Because it was not good for him to be alone. But now one of the deepest needs in Adam's heart is met. And what is it? It's kind of in this awkward verse. That we ended with tonight. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, for the two shall become one flesh. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
Now, we're going to return to this passage about marriage and actually refer to it again when we um, talk about what the Bible says about sex. This really is the world's first wedding. But in this moment, what's going on is this. is two people completely knowing each other, not hiding, experiencing no fear, experiencing no shame, being known and being loved. Y'all, that's the deepest desire of all of our hearts. It's not just to be liked or accepted, but actually to be seen completely. To be seen all the way through to your heart. To be known. To be exposed and to be loved. But here's the problem. We're not in Genesis chapter 2 anymore. We're not in a perfect world. But there's not just sin in this world. There's sin in our hearts. And so we stand before one another and we stand before God naked, but hiding and shamed. But here's where the gospel has everything to do with relationships. The gospel that says Jesus died for his people's sins and rose again to the newness of life. Here's why the gospel says everything about relationships. That in the gospel, when Jesus looks at me, he's not fooled by what I'm able to put out there. He's not fooled by my false humility. He's not fooled by my empty good works. He sees me fully. He sees me fully exposed. Every thought, every word, every deed, everything that I've done, everything that I will do, every sin. He looks at it. He sees it. He acknowledges it. But in the gospel, he takes all of that shame and sin upon himself and clothes me with a righteousness I don't deserve. And so in Christ, for those who repent, for those who run from their sins and run to Jesus, for those who put their life in his hands, they are completely exposed. They are completely known and they are loved and they are accepted. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's the yearning to get back to this state of being loved and loving him. Do we see that's the deepest need of our hearts? And do we see this? That it's the gospel that gives us the resources to navigate relationships in this sinful world. It's the gospel and this being true with Jesus, that we have everything that we need in Jesus. If we are fully known, fully loved, fully accepted in Christ, then all of a sudden I have the resources to navigate really complicated friendships because I don't need them to tell me anything about myself because Jesus has already said everything. But in the gospel, we have the resources to navigate the weirdness of our dating culture because you can actually wisely do it because what you have in Christ is eternal. That even in marriage, and y'all, marriage is hard. Marriage is wonderful. Marriage is hard. And I don't know how people do it if they don't have Jesus. Because my wife can never be Jesus for me. She will always disappoint me. But if I have every need met in him, I all of a sudden can enter in a marriage that does have sin, that does have failure. But I'm able to love and be loved because of what I have and my wife has in Christ. Do we see that we were made for him? To flourish together as his people, to enjoy him more together, and to love and to be loved, but it starts with Jesus. And that informs everywhere else we're going to go. Next week, we're going to talk about what sin does, how sin enters this world, and how sin destroys relationships. The relationships are those things that both deeply harm you and actually bring you the most joy. That when you leave college, you will talk about people, probably not classes. And they will be both good and bad stories. It's because sin is here. But the gospel has something to say about that too. Let me pray. Father in heaven.
Lord, we, um, we look at our lives and see that we have made other things more important than you. Uh, that we, um, we look at our relationship and see like a lot of confusion. Uh, that we have good desires for dating and marriage and sex. But Lord, they are confusing things in this world maybe um, because we don't see you clearly. So Father, I pray that our hearts yearn for you. That we desire to know you more. That Jesus in the gospel, we can really believe what's so hard to believe, that you know everything about us. And that you forgive us and love us and call us your bride. Help us to believe that. Help us to live that. Help us to know how you made us and why you made us. To enjoy you and glorify you forever. Help us to see one another as image bearers. And love one another with what we find in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our last song, y'all, I want to direct you to the back of the bulletin again. If this is your first time in RUF and you are wondering how do I get more involved, we want to make it as easy as possible for you. How to grow in RUF, to come to the things that we have to help us grow in our faith, to do that together. Keep coming and come and meet and grow. There's also ways you can look at to serve. We're going to mention those throughout the semester and then ways to lead. But we don't want you to at all be confused on how to take another step into this place and meet more people. So we're going to sing one more song and then we're going to have some ice cream. But let's stand together.